got me thinking. Do you think maybe earlier cultures came across dinosaur bones and it helped to inform how they envision what a dragon could look like? I would think so. I mean, that would have scared them. I mean, imagine seeing that and being like, that thing just, you know, petrified somewhere mm-hmm. and coming across. Why wouldn't you think this is a dragon's lair? Like, this must have been it. Welcome to Speculative Sandbox, your audio playground for creative storytellers. My name is Vicki Lawn, and each episode, I and a guest will unpack a fiction trope with an eye for character development and narrative structures. Make sure to look for Speculative Sandbox on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, where you can join the conversation. Leave comments or questions, or let us know what other tropes we should cover. When the real world just doesn't cut it, let's get lost in a fictional one. Dragons and fantasy novels go hand in hand. They're the scaly creature with wings. They guard their treasure. They breathe fire, just like Smog in The Hobbit. Or you have Drogon in Game of Thrones, or Bowser in the Super Mario video games. But upon further examination, this isn't the only way dragons are portrayed across the globe. They can be viewed as friends, spiritual beings, soldiers, obstacles, demons, and more. Recent movies like Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings and Raya and the Last Dragon, for example, showcase eastern dragons. Author Danielle Orsino joins me to examine the use of dragons in fiction. We talk about western dragons and eastern dragons, their similarities and differences. And she even shares her unique method for making sure her own dragon characters are as realistic as possible. So thank you so much for doing this with me. Um, I am really excited about this topic. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your projects and your interest in dragons? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. So thank you for having me. Uh, dragons are kind of fantasy vernacular. And as a fantasy author of the Birth of the Fae series published by Four Horsemen Publications, uh, I've always wanted to have dragons in my fantasy series. But I wanted to make sure that they weren't just background noise or tools of destruction, mm-hmm. as we've probably seen them in most fantasy or movies. Yeah, you know, they're Game always... of Thrones immediately, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Aragon, like they're always either the last hope of salvation or the destruction of salvation. There's usually no in between. Mm-hmm. So in uh, in my books, I wanted to make sure that they they were their own beings, their own creatures. They had a society, they have a religion, everything. They, I, I wanted to do them right. That's awesome. I felt like that's always left out. Yeah. It's just like, oh, they fly. Oh, they breathe fire. That's just what they do, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then we're just supposed to accept it and leave it at that as readers or as the audience. I wanted to give them a little bit more validity. That's really nice too, especially in Western cultures when you are so used to just seeing the dragon as this vicious force being able to change that and introduce new concepts for for readers to 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 read uh that's really nice and i'm loving your outfit you have this great is it like a cloak or shoulders tell me about it it's my little shoulder my little paldrones of uh you know of plumes of you know feathers and things kind of giving off a little uh phoenix fire Mm -hmm. just to kind of say yes it's part of uh my factions of ashray which are phoenixes I thought it'd give us a little dragon, you know, a little nod to our fire dragons, our fire breathers. So just, you know, a little something just to say, you know, hi, guys. 
Well, I was really excited when you picked dragons as a topic to talk about, because that's something I wanted to talk about, too. And I wanted to kind of cater this conversation to bring two different perspectives to the dragon conversation. I thought you were such a great fit for talking about the dragons that we typically see and how you've changed that uh, for your books. And then I wanted to bring in uh, to talk about Eastern dragons. Uh, mm -hmm. I got to work on a great project where I got to explore um, Vietnamese dragons specifically, which were very much influenced by the Chinese dragons and then how Chinese dragons have influenced in turn Korea and Japan as well. And so being able to go back and forth and talk about like, what do these dragons mean for these different cultures? How have they been portrayed in different fictions? Um, I just thought that'd be a lot of fun. So are you ready? I'm all set. Let's go. Okay, cool. So before we get into the actual fiction world, let's take a step back and look at sociology for a minute. What do dragons mean to us and our cultures? Um, and do you think based off of the lore that they were ever real? Let's start with you. Uh, I think, first of all, coming from more the Western side, dragons have always been feared, you know, to whereas the Eastern side, they've been, they're always held with wisdom or guardians of the elements, mm -hmm. and they're regarded more as celestial beings. In Western philosophy or Western lore, it's always a sense of foreboding, you know, something like that, danger especially more European culture, wyverns, Beowulf, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, do I think they exist? I think it's definitely a possibility. I would not rule it out at all. Uh, you know, things are misidentified all the time. Mm -hmm. And as a Loch Ness Monster fan, I definitely want to think something's out there that we don't quite understand. So I would like to check that box and say, yeah, I definitely think it's a possibility, 100%. Gotcha. Do you think back in the day, someone came across some identified creature and they went, whoa, uh, we don't know what that is and we fear it. And then over time through oral traditions, it kind of morphed into an identity that now became a dragon. I think that could definitely be an explanation for it. You know, I mean, think about the Kraken, you know, the giant octopus, you know, giant squid, things like that. The, the creatures of you know, sea monster lore to what they are now, the coelacanth, things like that. You know, the oarfish, you could definitely see where that's a sea monster dating back to our, uh, our even the paintings and things like that from semen to now. You could see where things are definitely like, oh, that could be an explanation for it. Or even sperm whales, stuff like that. You know, you could definitely see that could be uh, what it could, a narwhal, Look, thinking about a norwal that you know that tusk or the horn sticking out of the water you could see where somebody might look at that and go what the heck is that and turn it into a monster of you know gargantuan proportions and all these stories so i think those are definitely uh possible explanations for what we see and you know we're humans we we like to exaggerate things that's what we do we are storytellers after all why do you think the dragon across Western cultures tend to all kind of typically look the same? Do you think it's a matter of migration patterns, uh, cultures influencing other cultures, you know, coming over into America, we still hold on to the dragon lore. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think a little piece of it is that when you look at how the stories have been passed down and uh, even artwork, that kind of has been hammered into our subconscious to a point. And when you look at uh, some of even creatures at night, bats, things like that, the wings are all the same. So you kind of can't help but wonder, were there creatures similar? And is that just where our head went? 
you know, when we kind of put it together, it's like, oh, that's what it must be. And we just go there. That's interesting too. You're right. They're very bat-like in their wings. They're, they're like a combination of animals. Uh, when you think about it, uh, to, speaking from the Eastern dragon perspective, you're 100% right. They're very much revered. They have celestial wise origins. Um, a lot of uh, academicians, I didn't know that was a word. Academicians have linked mm-hmm. Chinese dragons to snakes, alligators, thunder, and nature worship. And it's because Eastern dragons show their benevolence through water violence, like floods and tidal waves. And so in pre-modern times, there were a lot of villages along the shore that would build temples to honor their local dragon king and to garner that favor for better weather and uh, prosperity. And of course, dragons represent power and strength. If you refer to someone as a dragon, it's a huge compliment. Um, They're also symbols of imperial authority. And what I find so interesting is as the... Chinese dragon has influenced the countries around it, how those other countries have adopted it and changed it. So, for example, uh, Japanese dragons, the Chinese Japanese dragons are very much influenced by the the local narrative legends. They're also water associated. Vietnamese dragons tend to be depicted a little bit smaller, a little bit less fiery, um, and they have a very specific representation to yang, which is the universe and life existence and growth. And then Korean dragons visually tend to look different in that they have really they have longer beards and they're either carrying an orb in their hand or their mouth. So I always found that to be so interesting as it translates. So from a fol- folklore and an like origin lore, what would you say is like the most notable reputation a dragon has among the people? I think from a Western perspective, it's always something where dragons are in a cave somewhere um, hoarding gold you know, to get to a dragon somehow translates into riches of some kind, mm-hmm. or there's always a maiden, you know, there's, there's always some reward at the end, or there's a damsel in distress, you know, that's, that's big for the Western side of it, but chaos and dragon come hand in hand. It's not like there's a dragon chill in mind in his own business being like, I'm going to leave those humans alone. That's okay. There, there's always chaos ensuing or some kind of mark of bravery. Should you slay the dragon? They, they do go hand in hand in that sense. So everybody's always looking to slay the dragon and somehow overcome a fear or an obstacle. That always seems to be there. So it's always a prowess, you know, prowess, strength, that kind of thing. Do you think a dragon became like an easy pl- source to blame because it's like this mystical creature in the sky or in a cave rather than blaming each other? It's like a united front at least that you can go after a single entity rather than blaming it on other people, perhaps? I think the dragons were uh, always the precursor to burn the witch at the stake. You know, there was always a supernatural being of some kind to blame it on and overcome because if you couldn't overcome it, it was the dragons, like, that's too big for us to overcome. It's dragon, you know, what are we going to do? And then eventually we moved on to something we could overcome, blame the woman. You know, that's like, blame the witch that we can go get, and we can take care of. I just think it's, we went from a dragon to things we could slowly take care of. And that's just society's way, you know, nothing bonds us better than a common enemy. Yes. And what's so interesting now thinking about that, if you have a mindset that a dragon is something to be feared and worthy of attacking, and I, I don't have the evidence for this, but I would imagine if you were to cross over into Eastern cultures to find dragon symbols everywhere, it could perpetuate that feeling of otherness and like, and, and kind of 
deepen the ridge between cultures, especially if you have one side that is taught to fear a dragon, but the other side is taught to revere it. So from the folk tales and origin perspective with uh, Eastern dragons, when I was talking earlier about how you can combine a bunch of animals to make a dragon, what's really interesting is Chinese dragons acknowledge that weird, crazy combination. So for I guess Western and Eastern dragons don't look the same. Uh, can you describe a Western dragon? A Western dragon, depending on if you're a wyvern or not, you know, there's usually a basis that's the same, usually wings, uh, depending if you have front claws or not. You know, a wyvern has small, almost think of like T-Rex arms, uh, but no, yeah, yeah, kind of smaller. <laughs> Small they don't support themselves on it, Okay, but they can use it to grab uh, versus a fledged dragon, a full fledged, which will put, has front legs to support themselves. But big leathery wings, uh, the fork tail or, you know, devil's tail depends. You know, some will show it with a, you know, I have like my dragons have a sickle tail if they're uh, a fire breather or not. My acid breathers have the demon tail or the devil's tail. Kind of depends. Depends from a flying perspective. Uh, horns, once again, from a, dra from a Western perspective, it will depend. Some have horns, some don't. Okay. Uh, the snouts are usually uh, narrower. I like to think of it difference between a crocodile and an alligator. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you, you know that distinction better than me. So which one has the bigger? Yeah. Is it the alligator that has the the wider schnoz? Alligator is wider. Okay. Crocodile is more narrow. Got it. Uh, and then a wyvern does not breathe fire. Dragon does. Uh, from Western wyvern is what Beowulf fought. So that's more European style. And I guess for lack of a better term, Amer American style dragon, you know, <laughs> we get further, they do. So it, it kind of depends, but your Western dragons, most of them breathe fire. Okay. You know, that's, we just like to blow stuff up. Yes. So, you know, we're, that's, you know, we're just mass destruction guys. So we're going to just go in there and blow it all up. Uh, so it really does depend, but it's the same thing. It's your traditional Maleficent, style sleeping beauty dragon that's you know that's your typical western style kind of dragon and those big oversized wings every right. all of them fly it's not like he's you know that dragon's walking down fifth avenue like hey what's up no they're flying no, no. they're they're scaring people from up above <laughs> yes well, you mentioned the t-rex arms and that got me thinking do you think maybe earlier cultures came across dinosaur bones and it helped to inform how they envision what a dragon could look like i would think so i mean that would have scared the i mean imagine seeing that and being like that thing just you know petrified somewhere mm -hmm. and coming across why wouldn't you think this is a dragon's lair like this must have been it yeah. How could you have not been like, oh, okay, we just stepped in something or even finding a tooth, just a tooth somewhere. Yes, that how would have large they were. My gosh. Yeah, that would be terrifying. Or footprints. Uh-huh. The footprints would have, I mean, I would have, you know, before dinosaurs, you're seeing a big footprint like that. You would have been like, whoa, dragons still live. Mm -hmm. That probably would have solidified it. I mean, once again, the misidentification of things, any, anything like that, I think would have just solidified that moment. Yeah. Or think about a brush fire starting yeah something like a wildfire oh, yeah a natural phenomenon like the blue yeah a natural uh -huh. phenomenon like that and thinking okay this this was caused by a dragon we must have angered it you know and kind of just going to that next step and thinking we did something 
this is it. You know, uh -huh. there's a dragon here and going and searching and coming across, you know, you kind of put those moments of coincidence together and thinking you have this brush fire or this wildfire and then coming across a dinosaur tooth. Why wouldn't you think this was all caused by a dragon? We came to a lair, you know, something. Yes. It's Absolutely. all there. I get that the misidentification or just trying to find like correlation versus causation in mm -hmm. the the eastern dragon uh, depiction I can easily tell that's you know they're around the water and there's a creature slipping in and out of the water and you can make that correlation so Chinese dragons Vietnamese dragons are smaller than Chinese dragons but I guess eastern dragons in general I think are not as large as the western dragons are depicted but the way that they're described <clears throat> is they have a head of a horse or a camel or a crocodile, depending on, I guess, the origin. They have a snake's tail, a stag stag antlers, eyes of a demon, a snake neck, clam belly, carp scales, eagle claws, tiger soles, and cow ears, which I thought was such an interesting way that it was all very clearly defined. Wow. Um, the Vietnamese dragon specifically is considered a combination of crocodile, snake, cat, rat, and bird. And these guys can change shape and size. They're very wise, but they're also benevolent. And one one thing I wanted to share with at least the Vietnamese uh, lore is that the drag the Vietnamese dragon is considered the origin of humanity. So there is a folktale uh, called it's Lac Long Quan and Ao Co. They are Lac Long Quan is the dragon king. He comes from underground in the uh, I'm sorry in the water. He's an ocean uh, character. Then you have Ao Co, which is a mountain fairy. And what happened is whatever circumstances, every time I try to read up on this, it's not very lengthy. I find quick, short summaries. So I'm, I'll do the best I can here. Um, <laughs> the Dragon King comes out, meets the fairy, the mountain fairy, and they fall in love. And when they have, when they procreate, she ends up giving birth to 100 eggs. Over time, they realize that their cultures are too different. They, it's just not working out. They love each other, but he wants to go back to the ocean and she feels better back up in the mountains. So they split their children up into 50 each and they go their separate ways. And the ones that went on land, that became the Vietnamese people. And I thought that was so interesting. Oh, that's kind of beautiful. Yeah. And so me being, I, I found it to be particularly interesting, especially the one summary I read about the Dragon King saying, you know, look, we're just too different. It kind of spoke to me because I'm biracial. I have a Vietnamese mother and my dad has Irish um, origins. And uh, there was a lot being raised in a biracial household, bicultural household that you do uh, find yourself in a very yes. interesting situation. And mm -hmm. it's all about like, how do you overcome? And if you're not able to overcome, you know, the subsequent actions, and in my case, my parents ended up divorcing. So uh, mm -hmm. it, it just kind of, it just spoke to me. I thought that was so great. So then with so many cultural interpretations, is there an authoritative definition of a dragon? Do we have a common ground worldwide? I don't know if there, there is a, definitive dragon I don't know if there really is I think we can all kind of go oh yeah like for me whenever I think of dragon I even as someone who has created dragons it wasn't until I created my own that I went that's a dragon uh but even then people debate it with me I always go to Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty that's my dragon mm -hmm. like that's my moment of okay, I don't want to run into that in the middle of the street. Like, yeah. that's kind of what I think of is, no, as much as, and let me tell you, I love me some Angelina Jolie, but the cartoon version, I was always like, no, because yeah. those jaws snapping, I can still hear. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yo, Prince Philip, watch out. Uh, you know, I did not want to run into that dragon. And I kind of gauge it by that, like 
who do I not want to come up against that dragon? I did not want to come up against. Yeah. That's my closest. I mean, I've, I've looked and I, I've done some research and when I was researching my dragons. I did a lot of dragon research trying to figure this out. Uh, you know, yes, we've all watched game of Thrones. I mean, I think we can all say that's kind of become the societal standard right now mm-hmm. for dragons. And I know I'm probably going to get a lot of hate for this. I don't find them particularly like, wow, that's a dra-. I think CGI wise, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, pretty darn close. But do I think they're all that original? Okay. Mm. They kind of look like big lizards to me. I'm okay. not looking at them going, those are dragons. I look at it and go, wow, I would think they're right there. I would think those are actors. Like They look that good where you know, when I saw the behind the scenes and I'm like, she's sitting on big styrofoam. Really? I know. Petting green things. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, I'm <laughs> like, that's amazing. But are they dragons? No, they just look like big lizards. Like, yeah. you know, so I don't know if we have a standard. I tend to think of them as Western Eastern dragons. Mm-hmm. That's how I do tend to think of dragons. Like, here's your fire breather, Western, got it. Like maybe smog from Lord of the Rings, like that maybe more. Mm-hmm. And then I think yeah. of Shang-Chi, you know, the yeah. 10 rings and that's my Eastern dragon. That's ten- how I tend to think of them now. That's then that's a really good transition for the next one. So jumping into fiction, let's talk about like some of our fam- our, our favorite portrayals. And if, if you want to talk about how you have also taken on the challenge of dragon mm-hmm. characters, uh, I'll start with some of the Eastern ones. So the most obvious ones, most and you've uh, mentioned one already, is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, where you have the great protector of Talo comes out. And um, I will be so honest with you. I was, I didn't, okay, I'm, I'm that person that doesn't watch a lot of trailers because I want to be delightfully surprised when I watch a movie. Mm-hmm. And there's so many Marvel stuff out that I'm just like, I'll just wait until it comes out and come to my own conclusions. When I started watching mm-hmm. Shang-Chi and I started seeing symbolisms and animals, I was like, oh my God, I'm like, will there be a dragon? I'm like, oh my God. And I was just mm-hmm. getting so excited because I really wanted to know if I would see a Marvel dragon. And of course, at the very end, one came out of the water and it was just the most glorious thing I'd ever saw. Like, I think the whole last mm-hmm. fourth of the movie kind of, it, it was just really nice to see all of that in in, in Marvel. Mm-hmm. And then the other example would be Raya and the Last Dragon, where the entire story is about um, a dragon. Yes. And I, it's been a while since I watched it with my kids. I need to refresh my memory. But I think those are those are kind of like good, you know, recent uh, portrayals uh, of the Eastern Dragon. And I hope to see more of them. So, and I, I, they are not portrayed as vicious. They're not portrayed at all, like the same way as the Western Dragon is. You have... Um, the, like for instance in Shang-Chi it's a protector character and it helps the main characters accomplish their goal and in Raya and the Last Dragon they're friends you know and they represent mm-hmm. ancestors and, and all those things so uh, yeah so tell me about your western dragons in fiction uh, my dragons came from a very different place I, I based a lot of them on dogs to be okay. very honest with you that's where a lot of my dragons came from um, the idea I knew I wanted dragons in my story because as I said, dragons are fantasy vernacular. You have to have them. You can't write a fantasy book without dragons in my eyes. Uh, so mine takes place in the fey world. So I knew dragons would be there, but I needed them to not be a weapon of mass destruction or a pet. I wanted them to be their own people in that okay. sense. Yeah. So uh, my first dragon that came to me was Los the Chameleon Dragon based on Carlos, my Yorkie. Okay. So I was like, uh, you know, I knew he was going to be a key factor. 
And I was like, I loathe Carlos. I remember looking at him going, okay, you're going to be a dragon because who doesn't want their pet to live forever? So my idea was I put you in a book and my dog can be there forever and I could write him forever. So I'm like, ta-da, there you go, Los. So he became Los the Chameleon Dragon. But as I was looking at him, I'm like, are you a fire breather? And I'm like, no. The acid breather? No, you're not a nice breather. And one day I went to go give him a bath and he ran and hit. And he was hiding in plain sight. Aww. He tipped over his toy bin, climbed in, and pulled an ET where he stared straight ahead and blended in. <laughs> and thus he became Los the Chameleon Dragon. Uh, but, you know, I did research on how chameleons blend, went through, you know, everything that had to do with how they blend in. Okay. And um, that was how I started to build. I built all my dragons from their digestive systems out. Oh, like what they eat and what they How expel? they would eat. Okay. Yep. Okay. And that's how I did it. Los, obviously, I went through the chameleons and how, you know, they electrically charge their bodies to change the wavelengths. And that he was a little different, but he started me down on the path because once I said, okay, I'm doing dragons. How am I going to do this? So I started with the fire breathers and I'm like, it's not just going to be like, boom, they breathe fire. We're all good. I'm like, no. So how does a fire breather breathe? Mm -hmm. So I was like, let's build his digestive system. And that's how I started. So I figured what bacteria would you need to make? Let's start with that. Okay, methane and hydrogen are both flammable. So if they have two stomachs, how do we pump it out? So then I said, okay, we're gonna have gas bladders on the side of their necks wow. and vesicles. And I was like, let's do it like a um, fire plating and like a fireplace billow. And we're gonna use it like that. So then they're gonna pump it through their mouth you know, I was like, their parents, their mother will feed them flint rock and it'll grind their back teeth. And when their back teeth hit, it'll produce a spark. And then we'll have the mouth covered in denticles. So it's fireproof and they'll hit their back teeth and you'll hear a click right before it happens. Ooh. And we'll get a fistula that, that ignites and that's how they'll stream it. So I'm like, okay, their fire obviously won't be orange. It would be what methane and hydrogen, which is like this magenta color flaming. Okay. And I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. I love all this attention to detail. That's so cool. So I was like, that's, I was like, all right. So I got my fire breathers and then I moved on to acid breathers and I figured out, okay, you guys are going to have more pari parietal cells. We're going to build you more like kimonos where it'll leak out your, you know, your acid. You'll have an acid bite. It'll leak out your canines. You'll have empty canines that leak out, but then you'll have a fistula under your tongue and you can only breathe out roy uh, royal acid. You'll spit it kind of like a king cobra snake uh-huh and i'm like but that acid you can only they'll only have it in certain reserves so it's not like they're streaming acid everywhere okay so like, they okay. have limitations so like, like you have to like recharge yeah okay. and then i went now i got ice breathers because i wanted something cool uh -huh. so I, they have tusks that are made of cartilage okay and it's laid in a geometric fashion so the nitrous the way it works is that the smaller it constricts the colder it gets Okay. So they have zeolite crystal in their gizzards, in their stomachs that allows them to make it. And I went through this whole chemistry thing, which I'm not going to bore everybody with. But once again, pumped up through vesicles, goes into the tusks, which are cartilage, not bone. And then it allows them to give a stream of liquid ice, wow. liquid nitrogen. And that's how they do it. But the tongue is covered in um, kind of these protrusion, which allows them to eat kelp. Okay. So that helps with the pH balance. So I did things like this to, so it was all like, okay, it's feasible. I went to my, my vet 
And I said, all right, here are my dragons. And he looked at me, he went, here are your what? <laughs> and he just stared at me, he went, Danielle, what? And he's like, we got dogs, not dragons. And I went, no, I got dragons. And I threw out the paperwork and I went, I'm building dragons from the inside out. And he went, huh? And he just stared at me and I went, here's the bacteria that they have in their stomachs. This is how I'm doing it. And he read it and he went, this is actually like plausible. And I went, that's it. That's all I need. I went, stop right yep. there. Yep. I went, oh I'm gosh. on Mythbusters. I'm plausible. And he went, yeah, I went, good, good. We're good. We're good. Stop right there. I was like, we're fine. We're You're like a science fiction level now. It's like, it's not even just make-believe. You put so much work into that. So cool. They took months. And then I took them to Pandy Van, which is my dragon illustrator. I said, here they are. I just need you to draw them. Wow. And I, we worked it out. And she said, how big are they? And that's when I looked through. I went, huh? And she went, well, how big? And I went, oh, crap. I went, hold that thought. I went to a community college and I walked in to the physics department and the engineering. I went, okay, so I got these dragons and these guys looked at me and went, oh God, Game of Thrones. And I went, no. I said, they have to fly and carry just one to two fey. My fey are about six to seven feet tall. Nobody else and they can't be 747s. And the guy went, I'm interested. And that's all he said. He went, okay. And I said, this is how they work. This is what they do based on the albatross theory of thermodynamics. And he went, huh? I said, they're going to jump. None of them take off like Superman. They all jump off something and glide. Mm. And he looked at me and he went, now I'm really interested. I said, they'll flap once they're going. I said, but none of them jump off the ground. They all have to jump off something high and catch warm currents. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Unlike Game of Thrones, I think they hop, right? Yeah. Okay. And none of them are cold-blooded. Okay. Mine all run warm. And okay. He went, this is my kid's midterm. And I went, okay. He goes, come back to me in November. He goes, and I'll have a midterm exam, and we're going to see if we can make your dragons fly. And I went, deal. And I went back, and a bunch of kids presented. They all worked in groups and presented it. And some of them said, nope, your dragons can't fly, blah, blah, blah. Three groups said they could get them to fly. And my dragons, none of them are bigger than about size and a half of a giraffe. Okay. Give or take. Uh -huh. And that's as big as my dragons are. That's it. You got a They're college not... class to like yep. research. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And like some of them said I was crazy there. It's never going to happen. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, and I gave them the, like chambers of the hearts are all six chambered hearts so they could pump more efficiently, get blood where they needed to. They're all trabecular bone, meaning spongy bone animals. None of them are scaled. They have denticles like a uh, shark. So they're not scaled like normal reptiles. And we figured it all out. And I picked one group who I said, your measurements are about correct. Okay. Like I liked it. And that's what we did. So no, my dragons are not your normal ones. Like we got down to one of them has feathers for mating around their face. So you let them, so then you know, they're in mating age, um, they all turn black at a certain age when they get old and they can no longer produce uh, oral defenses. So when they walk in a pack, they're in the middle. So they're oh, most wow. protected. Uh -huh. You know, we did, I did things like that to make them a true society. And it's not just like, eh, they run around and they breathe fire, ice and acid. Cool. You know, it's like they yeah. actually worship. They, uh, you know, some of their worships aren't great, but that's it. They're still flawed. And when, King Jarbuck of the Dark Fae meets them. They're doing some crap that's not cool. 
Uh and he he has to put an end to it where he's like no no guys we don't no stop time flag on the play he's like we don't do this crap and he comes in and he because he's got a bit of an issue and there's a problem with it kind of like a typical you know guy where he's like I don't like what's going on I'm going to come in and fix this and there's a fight and they have to make some decisions but you get a feel for their society their language what they do they're totally on their own did you have to look into vocal cords and how like vocal cords work with breathing the stuff? Yeah, I had to. Yeah, that's why some of their necks, the sterno, uh, sternocleomastoid muscle is bigger with um, the fire breathers okay. than it is with the acid breathers because okay. of the, um, the fistula and the way it comes out. So uh, because of the plating, it's different. So all that stuff had to be in um, my, even my pectoral muscles, my pectoral minor is bigger on the acid breathers because their wings have to be oversized in order to support even the horns. Like the horns are more sloped. All that stuff had to go into consideration just looking at them. You know, all that, the way we built them out, there are anatomical differences on how it went. So yeah, that all had to, we had to figure it all out. That level of detail is so amazing because I know I like watching if I'm watching a movie or something and you know and you're aware and you see a creature, for example, moving and it's not just a fantastical made up creature that just happens to exist and move the way because we want it to. But to actually see how the mechanisms work together, like that's always really exciting. I I feel like I'm trying to remember which dragon it was. The first time I saw a dragon that actually showed the spark get lit in the back of its throat and you can see it glowing in the back of the head before it blew out the fire. I was like, oh my God, I I don't even remember which one that was. But to me, it was like, oh, so that kind of gives you a hint in how the dragon works versus just it opens its mouth and just vomits fire, you know? (laughs) That that always bothered me because I was like, how's that? Like, I was always like, can we get an explanation? Something, like I felt like I don't want to just accept that that's just how it happens. I wanted to know, like, where are we really? And I did it, I think it was in book, um, I know in book three, I got into the explanation a little bit. And then I think later on in book three, I did it with the ice breathers where uh, one of the dark fae looks at the light fae and goes, oh, that's mine, the magenta one. And she went, I know what your ice breather does. And she goes into this long explanation. And one of my editors was like, it's an info dump. I'm like, trust me. There is somebody out there that's going to go, oh, I so appreciate this. Mm-hmm. I said, There's just somebody that's going to be like, I lo- like, I get that stuff. I-, I enjoy that. Yeah. And for me, that was part of it. But most of the um, the dragons, even the names or the drawings that I did, it's somebody's dog. It's somebody's yeah. pet that they were like, can you make can you make my dog this? And the book, I the novella I just did, uh, Fire, Ice, Acid, and Heart, which is, covers their the dragon's tournaments. The dragon in there, Callie, is my friend's uh, dog that had just passed. And she asked me to write a book. But down to the drawing on the cover, the white claws, Mm -hmm. that's the dog. The dog had white paws. We put it all in there. Yeah. So everything about it is them. I love that. I need to look this up real quick before I forget what... Okay, so Andy Ware, who is a sci-fi author, he Mm -hmm. writes the martian and then the one that most recently came out is and i can't believe i'm forgetting that project hail mary so mm-hmm. he has the same exact approach as well which is it's a fantastical situation but my god we're going to put a ton of uh, research into it and then we're going to explain all of it and so me a reader i'm like 
you know, it's so funny. Like I would have just suspended reality anyway, you know, but this level that you add to it, it makes you go, oh my gosh, I, I feel like it's actually real now. And in the case of Pro uh, Project Hail Mary, I'm like, I don't know if I can get myself into, you know, outer space, but I feel like I can now, <laughs> you know, like it's like feeling. Yes. So to be able to feel like dragons could actually be real and you can understand how the mechanisms work. That's amazing. So of all your dragons that you made, ice breathing, acid breathing, fire breathing, which one is your favorite? My my favorite will always be Los because it's Carlos, um, you know, and even down to his tongue lolling out of his mouth and it being too big. That's my Yorkie. Like uh -huh. his tongue just doesn't fit into his mouth. Uh, so we put that in there like Los is always walking around with his tongue out. Uh, so that's a big thing. Some of his sicknesses are actually written in. So Los is Los has my heart. But overall, uh, I do love I love my my ice breathers because of the detail that's in them and I, I just don't know another dragon that blows liquid ice out of their tusks so you know I'm I, I'm a little proud of that just yeah. a little bit you know it's kind of cool but my dragons I just you know I kind of they just have my heart because I put so much into them that you know I keep waiting like when I look out the window one day one of them's just gonna land in the in the road and be like come on Danielle we've been waiting for you Aww. granted I'll probably know I've suspended reality and I've snapped but you know that's okay it's totally cool it's kind of like when yeah. I go to Loch Ness I'm waiting for Nessie to pop his head out and be like where have you been get on my back let's go you know like I even wrote Nessie into my book as the Grandmaster Water Kelpie oh I love that and he's Faye too yeah he's cousins to the Draconians because of course why wouldn't he be you know and he um he likes to pop up and let everybody know that there's a sea serpent in Loch Ness just to get his picture taken nice. to mess with the Fae. Um, so, you know, once again, I'm just, I'm just a sucker for dragons. I love that. But, you know. Okay. So then what do you think is an overused dragon trope? Uh, that they're here to destroy mankind. Mm -hmm. They're always, you know, they're always a fire breather that needs to be tempered. I think mm -hmm. right now, like Game of Thrones has kind of played into that, that they're just a weapon of mass destruction. Mm -hmm. I think we've, we've seen that yeah. time and time again. I, I agree with that too. Um, one that I've been struggling with, and I, I, it's funny because I think this trope that I struggle with is actually a response to that trope. It's the, the monster is not actually the bad guy after all. It's us humans, right? Um, I've yeah. seen, so the dragon or the beast is perceived to be a threat until one person breaks the norm and investigates and then realizes the dragons are just like us, only misunderstood. So mm -hmm. we've seen it in how to train your dragon. Um, and we've seen mm -hmm. it in things that aren't technically dragons, but kind of take the place of dragons. So mm -hmm. Tinkerbell and the never beast had that. Mm -hmm. uh, my kids watched it. And then most recently sea beasts, which just came out on streaming yes. platforms. And, um, I, there is something, I don't know what, maybe because they're portrayed like animals and you find out they're actually trying to help you the whole time. I can't, like, I get so emotional actually watching. That's probably why I struggle with the trope because it kills me that the idea that we, the humans are inadvertently abusing and uh, being predators on the dragon character the archetype. Mm -hmm. And so while I think, I think it's such a great message, I struggle watching it just because it's so painful. I, I agree. I think the other thing that that bothers me with that trope is the idea that it, it just takes just one person, just one. And then, oh, it was that special person to solve the whole thing. Like 
the whole society is just too dumb or too whatever like and that the dragon itself couldn't communicate this like mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. i don't know there's just so many things wrong with it and i loved how to train your dragon i thought it was cute it was adorable yay toothless the whole thing okay mm-hmm. yeah but by the third one i'm like really guys yeah really you know and then it's like oh we're gonna let him go and go have a family i i don't know i not everybody wants the traditional things mm-hmm. so i felt like we kind of went down um a very stereotypical path with the yeah. story and you know i mean granted humans do we are ruining the climate we're ruining the planet we're doing all that stuff and, but it's always it just seems to always go down like you said the same trope of things i just feel like can we stop making it that there's always such a a misunderstanding mm-hmm. i get the misunderstanding trope the climate just in general yeah that's what i think it is it's just this and i'm like all right can we do something fresh with it mm-hmm. or you know are the dragons that passive right yeah like like at any point they could have just been like hey you know what guys we ain't taking this bs for me anymore <laughs> like that really would have or they would have they could have just up and left Mm-hmm. But it's always the same thing. Or like I said, they're somebody's pet. Yeah. Always. And then it's this mass destruction. There's never a like, let's be partners. Right. They're never yeah. equals. Well, it's kind of scary because then you think about it and dragons in this context become an analogy for a neighboring race or a neighboring culture. And yes. the animosity that we uh, are, you know, averse have towards this other culture. And you're right. The idea that it's almost like dragons are seen as submissive in the case of like how to train your dragon uh, to humans. And then they're okay with that dynamic um, with sea beasts. It, it was the same idea where one single person has seen the light. And in this case, it was a little girl and she's like, no, I think these dragons are actually friends, but she's accompanied by an older gentleman who is just a fun. He's so cranky. He's just, and I was getting frustrated because to me, the real problem isn't that it isn't the like to me the real problem is you have people not believing or open or just so automatically mm-hmm. cynical that even yes. what this young child is like no it's great and you've watched it too and it's so obvious because it's a children's show movie of course but you have that one cynic that continues to be cynical and I'm like that's the that is the enemy that's and the that real is, problem right and but you're right how can one person undo a whole society of that cynicism like that needs to be addressed i think to realistically mm-hmm. address these these issues so then alternatively what do you think should be explored more regarding regarding dragons in fiction and you talked about a little bit with how you approach dragons but can you uh, go into it some more i think overall we just have to get out of the idea that dragons are always a weapon of destruction or the enemy in such a way or like i think sometimes dragons are a symbolism for imperialism mm-hmm. and uh you know this idea for greed there is a way to make them more than more one they're always one dimensional mm-hmm. i think we can make them more and give them more of an idea of being these creatures that we could partner with you know, as a society and stop making them our pets. And sometimes we anthropomorphize them to the point of dogs, which coming from somebody who made them out of dogs, it's kind of funny, but you know what I'm getting at. Yeah. Um, you know, I think sometimes that's a problem. Uh, you know, in, like I said, in the ways of 
Game of Thrones, there was they were they were going crazy, and you know they were so feared. And then we were they were killing them left and right, mm-hmm. but yet there was no remorse for it. Yeah, you know it was like it was so weird that we made them a weapon, but did not give them more personality. I feel like sometimes they're just things that we push to the side. And we're like, yeah, they're great characters, like one dimensionally over here. And then we use them for all these plot devices and then just toss them. Yeah. I think we could do more with the characters of dragons and do right by them because we've used them like, you know, even the books Aragon and things like that. There's so much more we could do with it and give them their their true spotlight in my eyes. Because like I said, they are, when you think of some of the great books, there's always a dragon, like a good fantasy book. I said, even Game of Thrones. There's dragons so much so that we're getting house of dragon, mm-hmm. you know, house of dragon. And like, what are we doing with them? So I'd, I'd like to see dragons maybe take the forefront a little bit more, or maybe get a good Aragon movie. One that wasn't what it was, you know, stuff like that might be kind of nice nowadays. Uh, I'm trying to do what I can. You know, my fans did actually specifically ask for this book. They wrote in and said, can we get, a dark fae dragon centric book. Get rid of the light fae for one book and just give us dragons. And I was like, okay, I can, I can do that. I can give you a dragon book. Yeah. So and as a writer, my goodness, like how how is that the creative process to be able to like get a, a you know a request from your readers and be able to go, all right, I'm turning this into like a story. Let's arc this out. Let's get it done. Like t- walk me through that creative process. This. Um, that novella was harder than I thought it would be because what had started out with my friend saying, my dog passed, could you make her a dragon? I was like, yeah, sure, I'll throw her in. Like, I'll throw Callie in. I wrote a short story about Janera and Callie training together and meeting this little fire breather and this dark fae meeting. And I wrote, I think that it was maybe three pages, the short story. And I like put it in a blog just as a, hey, here's like a little memorial to her, whatever. And people really loved it. And that's when they were like, turn this into something. Yes, yes, yes. Dragons, dark bag, go with this, Danny. Nice. And then I was like, oh, I got to make this into something. So I'm like, okay. So I sat down to write a dragon fight scene. As a martial artist, I can write a fight scene. No problem. I got that. And my dogs have helped me with it where I've like stood little Penelope, my Chewini on her hind legs and been like, stay. And had a sword out and been like, don't move, honey. I got this. Promise I won't hit you. We're good. And been in the backyard many times. No problem at all. Um, to the point where the neighbors are like, what is she doing with that dog? And I'm like, it's good. Don't worry about it. We got this. You're like, I'm brainstorming here. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, leave me alone. We're good. I'm in my world. I'm in the veil. When you're talking dragons, I can have as many little dragon toys. And I'm like, boom, boom, boom. And they're like, you know, and they're clashing. When you're spitting fire, ice, and acid out, puts a whole new dimension on this thing. They're flying in the air. And I, I look like I'm playing like the P-Man figures all over again in the 80s, you know? <laughs> it's, it's very, very different. Um, that, this novella took me months. Like there were times I was just stuck on a chapter staring at the page going, uh, okay, this one throws a plasma ball. This one catches it. Um, the dragon goes up in the air. What, 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 what am I doing? Like, I just really didn't know. I just sat there. Like, I knew the arc where I wanted to go. But dragon fighting? 
you know, you're, yeah. like you're staring at it going, okay, you fly, you don't, um, you're going to spit some acid, but the acid's not going to work on you. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, this seemed like such a good idea in my head. Uh, and then I, the way it works is it's a tournament, almost like a game of tag and dodgeball put together. Okay. And so I'm like, and there's a boundary line. I based it off of my years point sparring in martial arts. Okay. Yeah. And then I took a crystal egg. So every time one side gets hit, the crystal egg registers the hit and it opens. Okay. So that's how you're keeping score. But if you don't hit the other person within a certain amount of time, you could steal the egg, like capture the flag too. Mm-hmm. So I put all these crazy rules. Cause once again, in my head, I was like, this is such a great idea. Oh my God, this is so good. Because every author, every writer, I don't care who you are, you do this. You know, in your head, when you're first doing this, you're like, this is brilliant. Oh my God. Then you got to sit and write. And then you're like, what the hell was I thinking? Yes. Yep. <laughs> That's what was happening. And then I thought, I'm going to add these crazy kicks. So I pulled out my old scorpion kick where you go down in a split and then your head, your leg flips over your head. Mm-hmm. I had those in my head. I'm like, I'm going to do this kick. I'm going to do that. And my dogs were literally out there with me and I would throw a ball up and try to hit it and flip it. Cause I'm like, we're going to do the plasma kick and we're going to do a scorpion kick at the same time. This went on months. <laughs> and literally my husband walked out. He's like, are you, are you done with this? I'm like, you know, in my head, this was all going so well. And he's like, are, are we done? I'm like, no. And I got to the last like three chapters of the book and I'm like, I know how I want it to end. No idea how I'm going to make this happen. And I was like pushing and trudging through the end of the tournament itself. And then I finally finished it. And I sat back, went, oh my God, I'm done. Thank God. It was just, and I love doing it. But at the same time, right in dragon fight scene, like nothing else. So I'll write a human fight scene all day. I mean, they're all, okay. No problem. I can do that all day because I can act it out. That's, That's easy for me. I can do that. I could sit there and be like, I'm going to hit here. I'm going to do this. Okay, I've done this move. A dragon? I, I Now I got to use a tail. So I had a pool noodle because I thought that's the closest thing I have to a tail. So I'm picking it up and I'm swinging it around. And I'm like, I think it would go this way. Oh, but that one's got a fork on it. But that one's got a sickle on it. But this one's got spikes. So I'm throwing it around trying to figure out. Would they sweep with it? Would you sweep another dragon with it? I don't know. So at one point I had my dragon pick up the other one and just like throw her across the thing because I was just like, yeah, you're like, this is what another dragon would he do that. I don't know. <laughs> like I know what I would do. Throwing is a good, uh, is, is, is a good general move that I would work yeah, for a lot of situations. Finally, he goes next time hit harder and put your hip into it. And as the dragon's spinning, she's like, yeah, I'll remember. Cause that's where we were at at that point. But I took a lot of the banter from when I would fight. The banter nice. between the dragons is exactly things I would say as I fought. It's, oh, exactly mind game stuff. Yeah, like you know, uh, Callie gets hit, and the dragon picks her up and like picks her up by the tail and throws her. And as she's spinning, she goes, "Wait a minute!" As she's like, the world's whizzing by. She goes, "I have wings." She goes, "I'm such an idiot," and like throws her wings out. So she kind of controls the spin. And I'm thinking, no, I've actually like done stupid stuff where I'm getting hit. And then I go, wait a minute, I can do this. What am I doing? I'm an idiot. You know, like all that stuff I put into it. So, and even some of the back talking between the Fae, that's all stuff I've said. 
I love that. I love how you're incorporating like so many of your own personal experiences into things so that even though it's like a fantastical situation, it's still grounded in truth. Yeah, the smack talking is all, I mean, I've actually done that where I've like people have said stuff to me and they've said, I've said, we're not friends. Don't call me that. Like, yeah, I'm like, no, we're fighting. Don't, don't, don't call me by my name. No, no, we're not doing And they, they've been like, oh, did you hear that? We're not friends. I'm going to cry. That was actually said to me in the middle of a fight. Wow. Yeah, you're point tough. Scoring. I don't want to get caught in a fight scene with you. <laughs> <laughs> so I, while, while you were talking about overused tropes and I was thinking about like ways to subvert or just explore different ideas uh i came across a i didn't i wouldn't know this about architecture in japan but um according to a tiktok video that showed up that showed me some examples as an architecture account they had such an interesting look on how their dragons and belief systems are incorporated into their architecture and the way that they do it is in their tall skyscrapers that are right next to the ocean they have big gaps it's almost like a big hole right down in the middle of the building and at first i thought oh that's i guess that's really good for wind resistance the wind can go you know tunnel through there and you're not you know blowing the building all over the place but no, they're called dragon windows. And the reason why is because when they were building the dragon, uh, the dra building the towers up high, they're like, mm -hmm. we don't want to block the dragon's way, the spiritual dragon's way back to the water. So we're going to put these big old holes in there and then the dragon can pass wow. through those holes. And I was like, what an interesting concept. Just the I idea of that. integrating it into like your everyday life and your symbolism and your design. So anyway, wanted to leave you with that. <laughs> I love that. I think that's so great that they can, that they keep that part of the spirituality and the culture mm -hmm. still present, you know, cause that easily could have get boarded up, blocked up, you know, made into something oh, else. Oh yeah. Make more apartments, make more money. Exactly. Like let's make more money. Let's, you know, but the fact that it's still kept there, I think is just a beautiful kind of thing, mm -hmm. you know, and just shows that they're still making a nod to the past. Yes. Yeah. I think that's special. Well, Danielle, I really enjoyed our conversation. I, you are definitely an expert in dragons. So if anyone wants to have research, like a research resource, I feel like Danielle's a really good source. So do you have any final words or promotions or thoughts that you'd like to leave with us today? Oh, I love shameless promotion. I'm all about that. So okay. Yeah, appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> appreciate that. Um, you can always find my books on birthofthefay.com or my publisher, which is four horsemen publications. Dot com. I'm on Instagram at birth of the Faye, F-A-E underscore novel. And then a really cool place to find me is Bookie Call, which is an app. Kind of think of it as Tinder for your next great book date. Yeah, it's really cool. You could swipe right or left and find your next great book date. And of course Bookie you can find Locked Out of Heaven. Bookie call. Think of it as Booty Call. Uh, bookie Call. <laughs> yes, you see where I'm going with that? Yeah. All right. Make it for iOS or Android and you can find Locked Out of Heaven, my first book on there. Speculative Sandbox is a volunteer run podcast that relies on the collaboration of fellow creators like you. Join the conversation and participate in fun polls and questionnaires on TikTok, Instagram and Twitter. Interested in being in a future episode? Our DMs are open or you can email speculativesandbox at gmail.com.